Today is a riveting, riveting show, start to finish. Hour number one, we had General Jerry Boykin on with us. He is the guy who was the original Delta Force. Uh, he commanded the Green Berets. He ended up being the the uh, general over all of special forces, um, and then went into uh, the Bush White House. Was a deputy, uh, I think, assistant director of uh, national I- intelligence. He's a pretty controversial guy because he speaks common sense. He's one of the guys who signed the letter from all of the generals and admirals of the past that said, we're in trouble constitutionally and Americans need to stand up right now. I asked him what that was all about and why he did that. I also talked to him about, you know, white supremacy being the biggest problem in America. It's an interview you don't want to miss. The second hour of the broadcast was all about the economy. I tried to break inflation down and what's called forbearance. I tried to break it down uh, so you understand it, because what's coming our way will change our country forever. And in hour number three, those who are fighting back. And is it working? How do I connect? What are they doing that is working? All on today's podcast. This man was one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. He was privileged to ultimately command these elite warriors in combat operations. Later, he commanded all the Army's Green Berets, as well as the Special Warfare Center and school. He spent 36 years in the Army, his last four years as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. He's an an ordained minister, and he is the head now uh, of the Family Research Council. He is the Executive Vice President. His name is uh, Lieutenant General William Boykin. General, how are you, sir? Hey, Glenn, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. It's good to hear your voice. Good to be with you. Um, I want to I want to start with the letter that was released the other day from the Flag Officers for America. Can you go into that, and especially for people who haven't heard it, go into the warnings and and why you and others felt it was important to make these warnings? Well, Glenn, we all uh, all took an oath to the Constitution of the United States and. Uh, we had no expiration date on that uh, oath that we took. Even though we took off the uniform, uh, we all feel that it is still our responsibility to support and defend that Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so we felt that uh, we had to to do something. Uh, this is a first step. We don't we don't know what the next step is going to be precisely, but we are in this for the long haul. And uh, as we wrote this letter, we tried to outline uh, for not only the president himself, but for America, the things that we see that are uh, jeopardizing in an existential way the future of our nation. And uh, it will, in fact, uh, ultimately wind up in us not being a constitutional republic. Now, we started out with uh, voter integrity and we made no claims directly that the president was illegitimate, but what we did do is we did point out that uh, 
both the court and the Congress uh, just completely ignored uh, the the charges that were brought, uh, you know, up in terms of the voter integrity, and uh, and we clearly know that there were things uh, within this election like dead people voting and illegal people voting and people voting without identification and state legislatures changing their laws without going through the proper process. Uh, so we we point that out in here. I you know I I said Jerry to the former president. Uh, I don't know if there were where there was enough to sway the election. That would have to be proven. But right. you'll never convince me that this wasn't a very dirty election that may have gone the other way if we knew the truth. Is that kind of where you're standing? Where I don't know, but we have to have faith in our election. We have to either prove or disprove it. That is exactly where I stand personally, and I think this group as a whole, and that's basically what we say in the letter here. Uh, there was voter fraud, no question about it. Now, there's voter fraud in every election. Mm-hmm. This year, though, if you look at the evidence that is uh, that is verified evidence, there was a there was a lot more voter fraud this time than than uh, we are aware of in previous elections. And uh, you know, we just had a court ruling up in Michigan that the Secretary of State up there violated the law uh, in the voting process. So whether there was enough fraud that it would have made a, a difference or not. We're not addressing that in this uh, in this letter, and I personally don't know the answer to that, just as you said. But uh, that we know that there was some voter fraud, there was irregularities there. And what we were saying in this letter is that we have to have a system that people can have confidence in, that everyone is allowed to cast a vote, and that vote will be counted, and the will of the people will be served as a result of that election, and we have to uh, we have to do that in order to maintain this constitutional republic. And then we go on to talk to them about um, the way that our constitutional rights in mm-hmm. many areas are being eroded right now. And uh, let me and, before we get into that, let me let me ask you. Um, I really I thought it was horrible when. You know, former prosecutors and, uh, you know, and another time, you know, former generals and everything else came out against Donald Trump. And that when they did that, it was purely political. It felt to me uh, and uh, uh, and I could see if I were for Joe Biden, I might look at this letter and say, you only are playing politics. You're only saying this because it's it's uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. Well, well, Joe Biden happens to be the president right now. But what we are seeing is we are moving to becoming a Marxist nation and and seeing the erosion of our liberties. Uh, It doesn't matter who the president is or the vice president. What matters to us is what we're seeing happen to our country. And you cannot deny anymore. No longer can you deny that we are becoming a Marxist nation. And that is something that uh, obviously you and I both have uh, taken a lot of flack for mm-hmm. uh, over the last four years as, uh, as being, uh, you know, we've been called racist, superior, uh, uh, supremacist, uh, supremacist, supremacist, yeah. And, yeah. 
and we've been called uh, uh, conspiracy theorists and all kinds of things. The reality is today we have openly Marxist organizations in the streets of America that no one is doing anything about. But more importantly, we have them in our Congress. We have them. We're, we have sectors of our society that are being represented by Marxist, Marxist, hardcore Marxist, and uh, and and just start. They call themselves. Uh, democratic socialist. Well, go back and study a, a little bit on what Marxism <laughs> really is. And there is no such thing as a democratic socialist to begin with. Uh, that's, a tor- that's a term that has been coined here. But, but Glenn, we're seeing a Marxist movement here I know. that uh, goes all the way back to 1958 when the Communist Party USA wrote The Naked Communists and told us exactly how they were going to take over America. And a lot of what we in address in this letter is, is exactly what was written in that book in 1958. Hmm. And we see it unfolding now at a very rapid rate, and we address it in here. And, so, uh, so if you're in the military now, you're, uh, you know, the current General Boykin, uh, and you're seeing what is happening to the country and you're seeing what's happening to the Pentagon. I mean, it is, it's phenomenal when you, when you have people now in solitary confinement, I think a violation of the eighth amendment uh, for an extended period of time, at least in solitary confinement and, and a ramp up of the, I think the lie that white supremacist is the greatest threat to our Republic uh, you're being sent a message and the military is being looked at and you, you know, they're looking for enemies within. If you are, you know, a flag uh, officer now, Jerry, what would you be thinking? You know, uh, if I was a flag officer now, uh, I, I think I would be uh, probably uh, ready to walk into uh, whoever I reported to and lay my stars on the table and say, I can no longer, with good conscience, be part of this because of the oath that I took in 1970. Uh, and, and our military today is being used as a uh, experimental test bed. And you know, you can't change American society in a substantial way unless you change the military. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Glenn, if you've seen the latest recruiting video. I have the cartoon. The yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it is so disturbing. Uh, especially when you think, what are our adversaries doing? What are they? Who, what kind of people are they recruiting, and and how are they pitching uh, the opportunities associated with serving in the military? And what they're doing is they're appealing to not only their patriotism, but uh, but their their willingness to go out and 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 put their lives on the line for uh, the uh, the country that they love, the country they live in, and uh, but if you know. Here's what people don't understand if they haven't served. You can give a soldier all the technology in the world. You can give him everything that is uh, available. But there's nothing more important on that battlefield than the cohesion and the morale of those men and and women that are out there fighting. Mm -hmm. That cohesion. And I've, I've written people up for the Medal of Honor and seen them in the White House to get the Medal of Honor because they sacrificed their lives for the other members of their team. 
look, you don't get that by sitting people down in a classroom and saying, all of you guys over here that are white, you are oppressors. All of you guys over here that are black, you are the oppressed. And they're the ones that have done that to you. How do you build, how do you build cohesion? How do you build a strong team? You don't. That kind of nonsense. And I think that is exactly the intent. I mean, the intent of Marxism is to divide and conquer. And the military was the one place that still people had faith in and was, you know, cohesive. And it is being torn apart from the inside. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So I am trying to eat healthier, and I am. But the thing is, I don't like healthy food. I don't like any of it. You've heard of a fat suit, right? I mean, there's got to be. When are we getting a skinny suit? Something that will make me look skinny, because I just want treats all the time. I grew up in a bakery, for the love of Pete. The bad news is no skinny suit is coming. You actually have to do the work, blah, blah, blah. That's why I am eating Built Bars. It satisfies my sweet tooth, but it's a protein bar, but not like, you know, that's like eating stuff at the bottom of my chalkboard usually. This is 100% real chocolate. It's low carb, low sugar. If I'm eating a protein bar as a treat, come on, you gotta know it's good. And I am. Mint brownie, cookies and cream, the new flavors that are coming out all the time, they're fantastic. Go to BuiltBar.com and you Use the promo code BECK15 for 15% off your order. Your mouth is going to water just looking at them. Trust me, BuiltBar.com, promo code BECK15. Well, I'll tell you what, Glenn, I just am I'm very disappointed in you uh, for you just holding out on the people. You're just like, you get, get them all excited with that forbearance talk, and then you're like, oh, we're going to bring that to you tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, people you watch what you say. I'll seat. tell you what forbearance Look, is. People are on the edge of their seat. Right. They want to know about forbearance. So shut up. <laughs> shut up. I just, I just talked about the interest rate and why the Fed is lying to you, and they say, we just don't think it's time to raise interest rates. They're never going to raise interest rates. They can't raise interest not rates. Not to those levels. I mean, they'll probably raise them, right? I mean, they're just not going to raise Maybe. them to 18%. Which is but. the only way to stop inflation. Right. I mean, this kind of inflation that is coming. Um, uh, but the other shoe to drop is the forbearance shoe. And I know it sounds super sexy, but actually it is It's really important and once you get past the fancy terms, you realize, holy cow, what? Let me explain this in a way Stu will understand. You know when, you know, you're all hot and bothered and, and, <laughs> your, and your wife says, uh, not now. Uh, yes, I do know that. Okay, good. That's forbearance. Okay. okay? <laughs> all right. She's just saying, not now. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, does that mean not ever? I never have to pay? Is that- uh, no, no. Okay, okay so forbearance. <laughs> Uh, forbearance is the, is the idea that you don't have to pay things, uh, right now. And that's when the, the first COVID bill came in and said, you don't have to, you don't have to pay this. Uh, it was the first cares act. It passed overwhelmingly with Congress. It was you know signed into law by Donald Trump and it allowed the federal agencies to extend forbearance to homeowners. Now, when you heard, if you were impacted by COVID-19, 
uh, and the Federal Reserve Bank and the government lending programs. And Uncle Sam said, you, know, you don't have to worry about that. Nobody's going to be evicted. What did you think that meant? I mean, it, it seemed like it was a temporary thing, I guess. Right, like, right. Like you, so you had extra money that month. You right? have extra money, so you can, you can. I mean, you can't be thrown out of the streets. There's a pandemic going on. Correct. Right? Correct. So, what happens to the money that you didn't pay for twelve to eighteen months? What happens to it? I mean, uh, you, yeah. Uh, Is it just called off? Remember the definition of forbearance, mm. Stu and Lisa. <laughs> Just not right now. Not now. So you have to come back and pay all that you back rent. You have to pay. Now listen, if is you that true? Jeez. Yes, that's true. <laughs> There's uh, no one's going to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bank of America estimated that through March of 2022, 22 percent of its loan portfolio had gone through some form of loan modification or forbearance. So 22% of Bank of America, that number is a lot, lot higher. Um, here's the thing. The federal court just said government didn't have a right to do that. You can't do that. So now they've called off forbearance. Okay. I want you to, I want you to understand what all of this means. In the original CARES Act, the government via funding lending programs through the government, the Federal Reserve Bank uh, took on 70% of all U.S. mortgages, including nearly 90% of new mortgages to low-income areas of the country since 2009. So 70% of the mortgages are experiencing some sort of forbearance, depending on the type of lending program you use to fund the mortgages. And the United States government is now on the hook for it. So if you can't pay your debt, hmm, that's going to be a problem. I mean, if you really look at this and you look at the worst case scenario, this is how you don't own anything and you'll like it because the government will now own your house. The Federal Reserve will now own your house. The bank will now own your house. Let me explain. Forbearance, in short, you're eligible to stop making monthly payments during the forbearance period. In the case of the government's back mortgages during COVID, that meant you could miss 18 to 24 months worth of mortgage payments. But what you have to understand is, and this seems like not so bad, every payment missed is added to the end of the loan. So if you miss 12 payments, a 30-year mortgage becomes a 31-year mortgage. But you're also having to pay the interest. So a 31-year mortgage, because of the interest, is probably going to be a 32-year mortgage. Sounds still okay, right? Not so much. Not so much. Forbearance isn't a free pass to live anywhere you want without mortgage or without consequence. Here is the consequence. And it's not the 31- or 32-year mortgage. If you try to sell your home, any missed payment during the forbearance period has to be made whole before the title will be released. So if you missed 18 payments of $1,800 each, you'll have to come up with $32,000 in cash to pay the forbearance to be able to sell your home.
because you owe that. Oh, here's the uh, here's the other thing. Because you're in arrears, it doesn't say on anybody's credit application, oh, it's forbearance. It says you are delinquent with 18 months of loans. Do you know what that's going to do to the average uh, credit score? Banks are already going to be hesitant to lend anybody loans in the future because of this crunch that is coming. You have to have great credit. If you've been participating in forbearance, you are going to have delinquencies on your credit score, which will cost your credit card. It will go up in interest. And if you can get a loan, you're going to be paying a higher interest rate because you've been delinquent. Even if you sell your house and pay it off right now, it will still be marked delinquent. So it's a good thing I'm renting, right? Oh, yeah, not so much. Here's the mistake that millions of renters made millions of times over. You're not forced to pay rent and landlords aren't allowed to charge late fees. Rent continues to accrue during the months you missed. Okay, no big deal. I'm going to live the high life. Well, now that the federal court has ruled the CDC has no power to uh, issue any kind of eviction uh, moratoriums, renters are due for a rude awakening. If you started missing rental payments in, say, June of last year, as the moratorium is lifted, millions of renters may find out that they have to start making payments again. But they also have to make up for the money they missed. When the dust settles for COVID-19, renters who end up evicted will find their long-term credit negatively impact. They won't be able to fill out in a, a financial form for the next apartment they're trying to rent. Because they owe all of this money and they didn't pay their last bills on time. All during COVID. Now you're going to take, it's going to take a very understanding apartment complex or a very understanding bank, and they have such a heart to say, oh, it was COVID, not a big deal. As America begins to reopen, as vaccines are administered, as America's shuttered businesses get permission to have patrons again. Let's take stock and remember that once the virus is gone, the impact, the the pandemic, the economic, the social, spiritual impact that this has remains. Just unpacking the U.S. mortgage and rental industries could take years and still cost homeowners, renters, landlords billions in cost. Both those you hear about on CNN but also the cost of higher interest rates due to lower credit scores, having to choose to live in a less safe neighborhood with a longer commute because your rental history shows eviction. There are consequences to everything the government does. When they say free money, it's never free, as millions of Americans will begin to understand as America opens back up for business.
You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. I have some good news uh, that I'm going to have Christopher Rufo. He's a contributing editor of the City Journal and senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. The guy is a machine. Uh, He is really the the guy who first really started to expose critical race theory being taught everywhere. I think it started in Seattle, I think is the first time I saw it. Um, And then has been chasing it and uh, has some, uh, I think some things that are coming that are very exciting. Uh, People are starting to stand up. And in fact, there's one major corporation that just kind of pulled back a little bit, which was a little surprising. Christopher Rufo is with us now. Hi, Christopher. How are you? I'm very well. Good to be with you. Thank you. So let's start with Disney this week. Uh, we found out through you that they were they were putting everybody through this critical race training, and it was pretty horrifying. Yeah, it, it was. It was really shocking. I had multiple sources within Disney uh, leak me these documents as whistleblowers, and uh, Disney was saying that America was founded on systemic racism it was telling employees that they had to listen to their black colleagues and not question their lived experience. Uh, it was also recommending resources where employees could take a white privilege checklist to see exactly how much white privilege they have. Uh, and it only got worse from there as things delved into politics. They linked employees to a resource that said uh, that they should defund the police, decolonize their bookshelves mm-hmm. uh, and join a local quote, white space, uh, whatever that might be. So Disney issued a statement to your release of their documents and said these internal documents are being deliberately distorted as reflective of company policy, when in fact their purpose was to allow diversity of thought and discussion on incredibly complex and challenging issues of race. <laughs> I know it's hard to keep a straight face even reading this. Um, yeah, the it, Disney it, brand like, has a like long a press release from the Soviet Union. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's just breathtaking and it's in it's in it's just pathetic attempt to deflect. But. Uh, the fact is, is that they confirmed that the documents were authentic. I posted the entire documents in full, so can't be distorted. Uh, and then the real switch was the, the real funny thing is they said, well, you know, we love inclusivity. We've directed films <laughs> like Juan and Black Panther. Um, I mean, it really is that I have black friends defense. It's like, yeah. no, we're not racist. We have uh, we made Black Panther is one of our best films. I mean, right. I, you could see the corporate PR office just imploding in on itself. It was a pretty beautiful sight. Yeah. I'll say, Chris, though, they, they accuse you of intentionally misrepresenting these documents. I mean, you did post them all, but they said you intentionally were misleading people. Yeah, I mean, you know, that seems to be the go-to move. When you get caught with your pants down, you have to point your finger at the person uh, who's there. So, you know, they claim that I distorted them. Uh, you know, that's categorically false. I posted Mm -hmm. the entire set of documents. I did direct quotes. I posted contextual screenshots. And then the real tell, the real proof uh, and vindication for my reporting is that within 24 hours of of making this press release, Disney deleted the entire diversity and inclusion program from their internal website. Um, So if they were so proud of these documents, if they felt like they wanted to stand by them, uh, they wouldn't have deleted them. Uh, and I think that's the ultimate vindication of my reporting. Well, pardon their pixie dust. Um, let me uh, let me ask you, do you think this is I don't know if you saw that report from was it Oklahoma? Uh, one of the teachers that 
was very upset at Chris critical race theory being banned. And she said, I'm going to teach it anyway. I don't really care. Uh, I'll find my own way to do it. Is do you think that's what's happening or do you think they actually got enough pushback on this to go, wait, we shouldn't maybe go there? Yeah, it's hard to tell. Time, time will show us exactly where, but um, it's possible that it will come back. But I can, I, I can say with a high degree of confidence that it's not going to come back in the same form. And what I think the dynamics that I'm hoping to create uh, can do is that when we expose these programs, which are not diversity training programs, they're political indoctrination programs, we raise the cost on these major companies. And, and if they are getting pushback, if they're getting blowback, if they're getting heat for these things, it gives corporate executives who in many cases probably don't even want to do this stuff. It gives them an easy out to cancel them, to reduce them, to limit them, to restrict them. And that's really the name of the game. We need to shift the incentives. So corporations now pay a price for promoting these programs. Uh, and, and, and this gives the reasonable and rational executives who want to just focus on business. It gives them an exit ramp that they can say, well, you know, this totally blew up. We need to, we need to totally rethink this program. We've seen it with Coca-Cola. We've seen it with Disney. We've seen it with Coinbase. Uh, we've seen it with Shopify. A lot of companies are now starting uh, to reverse course on some of these most destructive programs. And, but I do wonder if it's a smokescreen. I mean, you know, uh, Common Core came back to many states just under a different name. Uh, you know, we have to be vigilant because they're shapeshifters. They really are shapeshifters. Um, what are you seeing in uh, in the future? What are you seeing? I mean, I'm uh, I'm just going to come right out straight and ask you. I have heard that there are some things on the horizon uh, that people are mobilizing with, and there is dramatic pushback coming. Is that you care to comment on any of that? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, 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 without revealing too many details, uh, I, I'm planning on continuing this series on woke capital. I have a number of major Fortune 100 companies in my crosshairs. That reporting will be coming out over the next few months. Uh, and then also, you know, Republican congressional leaders, uh, leaders in the Senate, uh, leaders in uh, the state legislatures, and then also state attorneys general are all starting to really mobilize on this issue. Uh, they realize that 70 to 80 percent of the American public rejects critical race theory in the classroom, right. rejects critical race theory uh, in the workplace. So this is a very much a winning issue. And I'm starting to see all of the pieces come together uh, to build this great uh, this great machine to start fighting back. So have you seen because the, the polls show that it's really only the uber liberal white uh, Democrats that are for this a lot. Most Democrats aren't even for this. Um, are you seeing them stand up or is it just kind of, I'm not for it, but I'm not going to say anything. Oh, I, I, I've sensed a, a complete shift in momentum, especially, uh, within you know, elite institutions, corporations, private schools, uh, public schools, agencies. Um, what's happening is that the, the, the more that people stand up against this, it reduces the cost for others to stand up against it. So we have very courageous parents in Loudoun County, Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia, Cupertino, California, Springfield, Missouri, uh, Buffalo, New York is, is starting to happen where parents and families are starting to push back. Uh, and then they're giving, uh, they're, they're clearing out the way so people don't have to be scared. And I think that's really the ultimate problem that we're facing that we need to solve is that 
people are terrified of speaking out against this stuff, even if they don't believe in it. And, and you know, as you said, the evidence is, is in. Most Americans don't believe in this. Most Democrats don't believe in this. And most racial minorities don't believe in this. So we have to take the initiative to break through that wall of fear that people have of speaking out. And once we do that, uh, we can go on pure offense. Christopher, thank you so much for all the work you do. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you. You bet. Na, na, na.